listening to K-Hum In-Depth, our monthly documentary series. This month, it's Sanctuary Cities, part one of our look at immigration. Thanks to our sponsor, Mr. Fish. I'm Chuck Rogers. And I'm Lindsay Battle. Today on K-Hum In-Depth, we're taking on the issue of sanctuary cities and sanctuary states. There's really no formal definition of a sanctuary city or a sanctuary state, Lindsay, but we can think of them as local jurisdictions that in some way limit their cooperation with the federal government when it comes to enforcing U.S. immigration law, right? Right. The immigration issue is already pretty complex. And then when you add in something as ambiguous as sanctuary cities and sanctuary Mm spaces, uh, it really makes it even more complex. It's a multi-layered thing and it's it's difficult to get your head around it. And it's also what we've discovered uh, in reporting on this is that it's a moving target. There's something new almost every day. Earlier this year, we heard from uh, U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions about this very issue. When cities and states refuse to help enforce immigration laws, our nation is less safe. The president has rightly said disregard, disregard for law must end. In his executive order, he stated that it is the policy of the executive branch to ensure that states and cities comply with all federal laws, including all immigration laws. Jeff Sessions also mentioned that he was going to deny federal funding to any sanctuary states or sanctuary cities failing to cooperate with federal government on deporting people who are here undocumented. Yeah, he made that threat, but then a U.S. district judge here in California, as a matter of fact, slapped an injunction on that part of the executive order. So for now, it looks like the administration is not going to challenge that either. So as it stands right now, it looks like the denying of federal funding as punishment part of the executive order is off the table, at least for now. We have the city of San Francisco and Santa Clara to thank for or to hold accountable for that decision, <laughs> depending, depending upon, on upon where, you, where you're at with that. Exactly. Here's the thing, though. Still, Jeff Sessions and Donald Trump's desire to round up folks using local police still remains. So they still want to do that. And it seems like they're getting fairly creative as far as doing that. There are several states that are now on the other side of the coin trying to make anti-sanctuary legislation like Texas, Georgia, Indiana, Louisiana, and Mississippi. Yeah, they've either passed or they're considering anti-sanctuary legislation in all those states. On the other side, Vermont, Illinois, and California are favoring pro-sanctuary legislation. In fact, Jerry Brown, our governor, has had a lot to say about that. Here he is. We must prepare for very uncertain times and reaffirm the basic principles that have made California the great exception that it is. First, in California, immigrants are an integral part of who we are and what we become. California has enacted several protective measures for the undocumented. The Trust Act, the driver's licenses, basic employment rights, and non-discriminatory access to higher education. This is what made the dreamers, and you made it happen. We may be called to defend those laws, and defend them we will. And let me be clear, 
We will defend everybody, every man, woman, and child who's come here for a better life and has contributed to the well-being of our state. With the governor on his side, California State Senator Kevin DeLeon introduced SB 54, a bill intended to make California a sanctuary state, as he told PBS. It's a very simple measure. Make sure that our local tax dollars are not utilized to be a cog in the Trump deportation machine. Um, we're cognizant that the federal government has all the authority to enforce immigration law. Uh, but uh, we want to make it very clear that we won't lift a single finger or spend a single cent to separate children from their mothers and mothers from their children. Of course, not everybody agrees with that. Here's California State Senator Joel Anderson explaining to PBS why he opposes SB 54. This bill is a departure from what California has done up to now with the felons first. We have in the past allowed ICE to go into our jails, identify those felons who are deportable, and we have allowed them to deport them. SB 54 passed in the California Senate and is now awaiting action on the state assembly level. And if it passes there, then it will be put onto the desk of our governor. Chuck, do we know what Governor Jerry Brown's gonna do about it? We really don't know if he's gonna sign it or not. He's expected to sign it, but his office is not commenting one way or the other on it right now. So we really don't know yet. Even if SB 54 does become state law though, federal law would still override it. But until it's challenged, the thinking is, is that it would provide at least some cover to local jurisdictions who don't wanna help with immigration and customs enforcement or ICE. So to get a read on where the city of Eureka is on this, we talked with city councilman Austin Allison. And here's what he had to say. So the sanctuary city has definitely been discussed. It's something that sort of already is in effect with the Eureka the Police Department. They have a policy written in regards to immigration. Which is what? Um, their policy, I would say it's more immigrant friendly than, so to say, sanctuary status. Um, so it's almost a sanctuary city without the label sanctuary city. Uh, yeah, I would say so. And um, I mean that in the sense that um, we still will involve ICE in investigations, but it's only on limited terms. Um, I spoke to our police chief, Andy Mills, about this um, and why he thinks it is necessary to still involve ICE. ICE isn't always uh, such a bad thing in regards to major crimes. And he would only use ICE um, for things like uh, major crimes, murder, drug trafficking, human trafficking, uh, investigations in the cartels. And he will only use them as a resource to to temporarily detain people. But say, say someone who's not a citizen gets a parking ticket or something like that, we will never detain someone on those terms. You know, from our standpoint, we want everyone to be able to trust the Eureka police. We want them to be able to come and reach out to us. And um, so say someone was a victim of a sexual assault who wasn't a legal citizen, we'd want them to reach out to us so we can help them mm -hmm. versus them be fearful of us detaining them and deporting them. That's, that's right. something we would never want to do. Right. The state of California. You tell me if this is right or wrong. If California is a sanctuary state, that gives cities and counties a little more protection, a little more of a buffer between the federal government and what's going on locally. What do you hear from the state of California? So I, I hear this is um, currently in the works and it's being talked about at the assembly level. If something like that passes on the state level, it takes a lot of pressure off of the cities and towns 
trying to do something similar, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it would be helpful um, doing something like that. Um, I would like to mention that it seems to be the people who are so gun ho about uh, enforcing ICE and getting immigration, you know, people stirred up out of their homes. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope they're misguided more so than than racist, just because, um, you know, we have to think why these people come to America. They, they come here to work. And to oust everyone that comes here to work is just silly. You know, so many communities rely on immigrant labor. Um, we we are one of the largest economies in the entire world, the state of uh, California, mm-hmm. because of immigrant labor. Uh, let's look at some major industries that rely on these people, such as the wine industry, the almond industry, the cattle, dairy you name it, any sort of agriculture probably is predominantly worked by immigrants. And that isn't immigrants' fault. It's mm-hmm. it's no one's fault. They are just willing to do the jobs that other people might not want to do. And I think it's really interesting that the United Farm Workers Union, they started a campaign called Come Take Our Jobs. And what this campaign allows is for those who are so against immigrant labor and them thinking that they're taking their jobs, you can actually sign up and get a job on a farm if you want to. You know, they estimate to replace the migrant workforce in California be over 500,000 workers. That's just an astronomic number. Just in California. Just in California. And so far, you know, just a few dozen people have applied and followed through with it. Mm -hmm. I grew up in the Central Valley, which in Modesto was the one of the almond capitals of the world. And kids going in high school and looking for jobs, always complaining they couldn't find jobs, never even thought once about working in the fields. They just didn't think of that as an option. So these immigrants, they're really doing a, a huge service for for California and our economy by being willing to do the jobs that no one else wants to do. Confirming what City Councilman Austin Allison had to say on this issue, Eureka Police Chief Andy Mills wants locals who are undocumented to feel unafraid to call upon Eureka PD when necessary and not fear that getting help in an emergency situation could later lead to their own deportation. That's right. He has been pretty vocal about this issue, and he comes from a place working down in San Diego for many, many years where that experience has definitely influenced his policy here in Eureka. And he also has an interesting family story where he has a family member who is an immigrant from Mexico. So he has a personal stake in this. He sure does. And uh, he shared a lot of his perspective with us. I got a chance to sit down with him and I was really curious to know to what extent will they be cooperating with ICE. And this is what he had to say. So uh, I actually just met with ICE a few minutes ago. They came up here, some fairly high-ranking ICE officials came up here to tell us what their rules were. And uh, one of the things we mentioned to them is that those aren't our rules. There are certain things we can and cannot enforce. And uh, immigration enforcement is a very difficult and complex issue. Uh, people think that all you have to do is walk up to a person and say, are you legal or illegal, and then arrest them and deport them from the country. Well, it's not that simple. Even ICE doesn't do that. So it's so complex, and you need specialized training as well as access to computer systems and data that we just don't have, that it would really be virtually impossible for the local police to swoop up people and, you know, and give them to ICE to be taken out of the country. And even when ICE detains people, they don't deport them. 
they go before a magistrate, and oftentimes they're given a citation to come back to talk to the magistrate or to the immigration judge. So it's much more complex than the average person thinks. When it comes to cooperating with the federal government, what kind of um, contribution does local law enforcement have to assist in those kind of operations? Well, I published a uh, blog on that, EurekaPolice.com. But essentially, that is not our responsibility. We are not going to help do that. Now, having said that, if any law enforcement agency starts screaming for cover, we're going to go and help them. So that is to the extent of where we're prepared to go in terms of raids and sweeps and that kind of thing. Now, ICE is telling us that they are not doing raids and sweeps. I don't know how that works out. It's not been our experience overall. I think we can remember not too many years ago that the bulb farm was raided. So we'll wait and see. Okay, and so that's kind of coming from the standpoint of what your responsibility to our community is mm -hmm. as a enforcer of the law. And then on the other side of the coin, your family has been personally affected by immigration issues mm -hmm. in the past. Can you tell yeah. our listeners a little bit about your family story? Sure. So my oldest daughter, Stephanie, who has two and a half grandchildren, one's on the way, married a, a guy from Guadalajara. And uh, he became an American citizen. And just after he got his American citizenship, was detained in uh, Brownsville, Texas. And um, so Miguel is standing there thinking, geez, how do, I, you know, how do I demonstrate to them that I'm an American citizen? Now, here's a family with means. It's not your average family. They have resources. So he thinks, hey, my iPhone's in my breast pocket. And so they get his iPhone. He says, now, you know, open it up and go to pictures. They did. And there's a picture of him standing there with his citizenship certificate and American flag. They, oh, okay, I guess you're American citizen. Let him go. Why was he being detained? Because he's brown um, and, and speaks with an accent. You know, all those questions come into play. You know, I know that there weren't behaviors of some kind that would tip one off to believe this person's here illegally. Um, and what would those behaviors be? Again, they have a difficult job. But at the same time, there's got to be justice. Every time he and his family go out of the country on business and come back, he's nervous. Do you feel like having that close firsthand experience with your son-in-law has maybe shaped your perspective on immigration in a different way than you thought about immigration before he was part of your family? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I first started policing, it was not unusual if to get a radio call and you go to a house and there's a house full of people who are here illegally and we would hold the house until Border Patrol got there. But then things transition. You start saying to yourself, wow, there's, you know, a lot of these are really good people. Why are we doing this? And then the policy changed in the department and I changed with that policy. And that's why it's so important for police chiefs to have a good understanding, because we're the ones that formulate policy. I've been viewing things this way for probably two decades, which was before Miguel. However, knowing someone and loving someone who uh, comes from a different country with different culture and, and so forth, uh, that obviously changes who you are as a person. And uh, those are the things that help shape leaders. So... Coming from the police chief of Eureka, what do you say to folks who might say that your personal experience is perhaps a conflict of interest when it comes to making policies affecting our local community when in immigration? That may be, but the uh, city has seen fit to put me in charge. 
and to bring my history and my influences into this position. You know, we're sworn to uphold the law, uh, but there has to be the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. And this is where I think we divide you know, paths with some of those well-intentioned American citizens. Now, tearing the tag off of your mattress is against the law. We're not going to go and check people's homes to see if they tore the tags off of their mattresses. I can give you hundreds of examples like those. We have to make a decision and a determination of what we want to do. Because I've dealt with gang members who are selling pirated wares. You know, we've arrested them for that. Those are complex organized crime cases. The average person, they're right, is not a serious offender. Well, you know what? The average undocumented person here is not a serious offender either. Uh, there are some, and those people, we're not giving them any cord. And if they're committing a crime of some kind, they're going to go to jail, without exception. How do you feel about the idea of sanctuary spaces, sanctuary cities, sanctuary counties in general? Is that something that you're for or against? Well, that's a good question. I'm not for sanctuary cities as a person. I mean, if the council that policy is made at that level, if they choose to do that, that's their responsibility because I don't want them to handcuff the local police because there's so many facets that we've talked about. For instance, if I can't talk to ICE, how do I get visas for people to stay here who have been victims of crime? If I can't talk to ICE, how do I, uh, you know, I have identified a guy who's maybe a cartel member kidnapping people and holding them hostage, and the only way I can have his crew detained to break up that crew to protect people is through ICE. That might be the only tool I have. So those are the things that you aren't considering as part of that. Um, ICE says they will absolutely not hit schools, not hit churches, not hit uh, hospitals. Uh, I think those are commitments we need to nail down as a city and say we want to make sure that you are 100% positive you won't do this and put it in writing. If that's the case, um, I don't see the need for it. Now, that's just my opinion though. So speaking of getting things in writing, Chief Mills had a really interesting idea, and it feels like our local government is feeling that same kind of pressure. Uh The Humboldt County Board of Supervisors recently met a couple weeks ago, and they were working on drafting a civil rights and diversity resolution as a direct response to the sanctuary cities issue. Uh, What did you think about the resolution, Chuck? Well, I I, I like the way you put that, a response to the issue. It did read to me as if the Board of Supervisors thought they needed to take a stand of some kind on this and have something in writing, something in public. Uh, And the resolution, I think, talks about support of diverse communities and civil rights for everybody, no matter their immigration status. But that's as far as it goes. They kicked that to a committee right? instead of passing it right off. And so we'll see what happens. But at least it's a start. It is a start. You had a start at reaching out to ICE. What did, how did that go? Yeah, it, it was good. They were very open and easy to talk to. Their regional office is in San Francisco, and they did give us their view on the topic. I spoke with James Schwab in the San Francisco office and got a written statement. Here it is. ICE regularly conducts targeted enforcement operations across the country to enhance public safety and national security and to ensure the integrity of our nation's immigration system. Our enforcement actions are not random and target specific violators based on prior intelligence. 
So something that I found very interesting about the statement that ICE gave to you, Chuck, mm -hmm. and the Board of Supervisors resolution was that they both were very vague and open to interpretation. And it seems like those kind of statements are really fueling these debates and fueling all of the confusion that surrounds these issues. More generalizations than specifics. So right. we don't really know where the debate goes because it's all too general and we're not getting at the real crux of the problems, that kind of thing. I think so. Yeah. That's how that's how it feels, at least to me. Yeah, I get, I get that too. And, you know, it also gets us to another point that we've noticed while researching this show. In this whole sanctuary city, sanctuary state debate, I think we've all become accustomed to hearing opponents of the sanctuary idea argue that undocumented immigrants are taking American jobs, negatively impacting employment opportunities for American citizens. And that still comes up, for sure, it does. But in our reporting recently, we're hearing more about crime and security than about jobs. Did you get that? I mean, that's what I, I came away with. I absolutely got that. I reached out to several people on the other side of the fence when it comes to these issues. And it was really interesting to see that they were afraid to talk on this segment. They didn't really feel like sharing their perspective. There's a lot of fear of criminals and the idea of people who are coming into this country and overstaying their visas or people who are crossing the border illegally are uh, first and foremost criminals. And that seems to be the main position of all of the folks that I talk to. And across the board, that is more the issue than the issue of jobs. Politics of fear is filtering down to everybody. It really is. And it's kind of bizarre because I was expecting that the people that we would be talking to who are here undocumented would want certain securities, like changing their name, for instance, or altering their voice when talking to us. I was being asked by people who are on the other side of the fence who are anti-immigration and who are feeling really frustrated with living in Humboldt County in a liberal California. Um, they also were fearful of speaking to the local media. They're afraid that we might spin their story or they're afraid that uh, there might be some kind of backlash from people in our community. And it's a real fear and it's the same kind of fear. It's an interesting duality because it's the same kind of fear that's fueling this cycle of mistrust bo on both sides, right. it looks like. Right. Yeah. You did though find somebody who was willing to talk, right? I did. I got to uh, talk to a very interesting fellow who I met via the Lost Coast Outpost comment section. Uh, his name is Manuel, and he immigrated from the Azores in Portugal when he was just three years old. Legally, right? Legally. He came here legally with his family, and he talked to us a little bit about what that experience was like for him and his family and why he is anti-sanctuary city. This is what he had to say two years for us to come over here. We had to have sponsors. My dad had to have a job, a place to live. 
before they could come over here. And it took two years under emergency circumstances. And here they're just opening up the borders. But and it's just, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that go along with this illegal immigration in sanctuary cities. There's a woman in San Francisco that would be alive if it wasn't for sanctuary cities that was killed by somebody who had been deported numerous times and was given sanctuary when he was released. Kate Sentinel, you know. As soon as they cross that line, they're all criminals. That's the bottom line. Illegal. What doesn't anybody understand? That's why I said I don't understand. Where exactly did you immigrate from, legally? The, the Azores Islands. How yeah. old were you again when that happened? It was 1959 Okay. when we came over here. August of 59, we arrived here. I was three years old. I've been raised American. Mm -hmm. That's why I say I feel like an American patriot behind enemy lines. Because this is the country, the state that we came to. And the state has changed. I mean, it just, you know, we have all these people that are being arrested for bringing heroin up here. And where are they all tracing it back to? How is it getting across the border so easy? You know, and you're giving sanctuary to these people. You're taking my tax dollars away from my grandkids in school to give special education to migrant children. And if you're giving sanctuary to people that are criminals, you're a felon just like they are. We have DeLeon in Sacramento, Kevin DeLeon, admitting half of his family is illegal immigrants. How are they getting legal jobs and paying? It's called identity theft. You have to look at the real issue. Yes, there's poor innocent people who are trying to make a better way of life, a lot of them. But mixed in with that crowd, there's the handful of the real bad element. Giving sanctuary to them isn't right. And taking from American-born children by having to have special programs and stuff that I see in the schools, in my grandkids' schools and stuff, it's, it's taking the attention away from them. Do you feel like the process to get your documented status, do you feel like that should be changed? Or? Well, that, that's just the normal process. You know, that's even, even like the Syrian refugees that are being brought in. Mm -hmm. They're vetting them for a year and a half. How do you vet someone that has no records? A lot of these third world countries don't have records, not good records. They have fudged records a lot of times. So how could you that quick of a period document and vet these people properly, any of them. Why, why can't everybody just go through the right process? Why is there special treatment for special interest groups? That's another thing, they're a special interest group. Is it just our politicians pandering the vote, pimping them people? And uh, most of the people like myself keep quiet about it because of the way things are happening, retaliation that's going against us because we're Americans and we're proud of our country and we don't want to see it turned into a third world hellhole. If people come to America and assimilate legally, there's no problem with that, none at all. No one is saying to stop that. All that people like me are saying is do it legally, don't have our government pay for their defense because they're criminals. Look at the millions of dollars that Jerry Brown just set aside for a legal defense fund for the illegal criminals. That's taking away from us. That's taking away from our infrastructures. Look at the gas taxes he's putting on us to pay for these things. We're being taxed to death to pay for special interest groups, and that's one of the special interest groups. And like I said, since I was a legal immigrant, I feel that it's in my heart. That's something that I really believe in that needs to be changed in this country, is the flow of the illegal immigration. And our government here in California is backing it, supporting it. 
do you feel like local law enforcement and local resources should be used to deal with finding people who are here undocumented and cooperating with ICE in that respect? Yeah, I do, and I feel that the mayors and police chiefs that don't cooperate with that, cooperate with ICE should be held responsible for the crimes committed by the illegal felons that they're allowing to stay in this country and giving sanctuary to. It just is a big continuing story. It's not just a simple little thing of illegal immigrants, the poor little children, the people looking for a better way of life and hope. It's not that. That's, that's not the bottom line. So one of the things I'm going to take away from this is that there are people on both sides of this issue for sure, but there's not much in the middle, which means that there's not a real solid solution out there on the horizon yet, at least. It feels like this is a real dividing point for folks right now here in our community locally and then on a national level. And something that I'm taking away from it is with this new administration and just the sheer rapid rate at which things are getting thrown out of, out there, it's really changing the way that immigration looks in our country very, very quickly. So it's something that is taking this complex issue and evolving it in ways that it becomes even more complex to understand yeah. from day to day. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's going to continue to be a moving target, which means that for us, this is just a starting point. This whole Sanctuary Cities debate is just a starting point. So next month, we want to continue on the immigration theme, and hopefully we'll be able to talk to some local undocumented immigrants and find out what this issue looks like through their eyes and how they see the future, how it impacts them. Are they able to even think past today and tomorrow or not? We're going to try to ask them. I hope you'll tune in next month on KHUM In-Depth for Immigration Part 2. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to KHUM In-Depth, our monthly documentary series produced by Bailey Brown, Chuck Rogers, and Lindsay Battle. Thanks to our sponsor, Mr. Fish in Eureka. If you or your business would like to become a sponsor of KHUM In-Depth, Email advertise at khum.com.